I'm going to pray and then we're going to spend some time in that. Father, we ask now as we listen to you that you would give us ears to hear. Help us in particular to uh, be able to set aside what is on our minds and hearts, the, the worries, the distresses that we bring with us and to be able to stop and listen to you. And in particular today, we ask that you would teach us to pray. Uh, Teach us to be able to speak to you in ways that please you and that we would be able to speak to you about people uh, that aren't just those who are immediately close to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, you will find it helpful to be able to see a Bible. So if you've got one handy, there should be one that looks something like this in the pews around you. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. I'm I'm basically going to read through that passage again as we go along. And really what I'm doing my best to say is what it is saying. I want to be speaking words that come from there. I want to start this morning by asking you, what would an audit of your prayer life reveal? What would an audit of your prayer life reveal? I don't mean for us as a church, I mean for you individually, specifically, for you, for me. Now, I'm conscious that at least for Christians, this is a topic that just the mention of it often raises feelings of guilt, surprisingly. It's a topic that we would agree on. Yeah, sure, it's very important to pray. It's very important to be able to speak to God and bring before him the things that are happening in your mind. In fact, it's vital that we pray. And yet, what would an audit reveal? What might it reveal about the frequency with which you pray? Is it truly an unmissable, regular part of every single day for you? What would an audit reveal about the content of your prayers? I've been reflecting on this throughout the week. And I think if I had to put a number on it, somewhere between 80 to 90% of my prayers are about topics such as, well, good health or recovery from illness, or safety, or whether it's prayers for myself or prayers for other people. Prayers for a good job, good income, success in exams or assignments, some other form of study. The emotional needs or other sort of needs of children. Success in romance. These are really the sorts of things that define my prayers. And so it was kind of telling for me, comparing my own prayers to the content of Paul's prayers. Paul, the writer of many of the New Testament books in the Bible, just as an example of one mature Christian man, what does he pray for? And I've got to tell you, if anything, that comparison has served to show me how much of my own thoughts and my own prayers have been subtly influenced by the world around us rather than by God. And so as we think about living lives worthy of the gospel, as today we think about praying worthy of the gospel, I want us to learn from one of the prayers. We, we could spend months working through the prayers in the Bible. In fact, that'd be a very good thing. I commend you uh, to do that at some time. But today we're just going to learn from this one in Colossians chapter 1. And I've got six lessons, six lessons to learn to shape our prayers. The first three are prayers from the context rather than the content. Lesson number one, Paul prays for people that he has never even met before. I don't know if you noticed as it was read for us. Have a look again. Verse three, sentence number three, Paul says this, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. 
Or look down at the end of verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing as it has been among you since the day you heard it. Verse 7, you learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Verse 9, again, for this reason, since the day we heard about you. These are Christians that Paul has never even met. It's a church he hasn't visited. Uh, They heard about Jesus from this other guy, Epaphras, who was converted through Paul's ministry. So in one sense, the church in Colossae, these Christians, are Paul's spiritual grandchildren, if you like. He's never met them, but he prays for them. And he prays, as we will see, quite in depth. Who do you pray for? If you were to stop and think for a moment, who's on that little list? Who do you pull out and pray for, whether regularly or not? Is it just yourself? God, I need a car park. Is it perhaps your family, your immediate family, your extended family? Maybe you pray for a few friends, the people that you've done a lot of life with, and you know their struggles, they know your struggles. Maybe it's your Bible study group or last year's Bible study group. I don't know how how you work these things. Is it just a small little inner circle of the people who directly affect your life? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not bad to pray for those people. Please pray for them. If you don't, who will? It's good to pray for them. But if we restrict ourselves just to that group, well, we're going to end up with a very self-centred world. To be honest, it's going to be very small and really just revolves around us if we only ever pray for the people who somehow affect us. It's good for us to pray for others who are outside our immediate circles, enlarge our horizons, make us world Christians. In particular, it's really good to pray for our missionaries. Uh, Amy Stevens sends out a prayer letter. She's a missionary that we have sent to Argentina. She sends out a a newsletter once a month, once every two months. And I I love her letters because they are just full of names, full of people you could be praying for. I mean, they're full of photos as well, so it makes them interesting to read. But here's last one, right? September. Uh, You could pray for... Well, actually, here's a little picture of life. Uh, praise God that the ministry is going really well. We now have 19 groups meeting on campus. Unfortunately, it's been a slow start to the second semester because a national teacher's strike lasted a whole month, uh, which for students means one month without classes. Uh, schooling over there is quite similar, by the way. It's great being a student because you don't ever have to go. So she says, thank God for the teacher's strike has now ended. And it goes, anyway, you could pray for Adriana, Mariano, Anke, Ioana. And it's just full of all these people. Thank God for Ramiro. Uh, pray for Flavia. And on it goes. Where's the rest of them, right? You keep going down. Pray for the kids. Dylan, Alan, Zoe, Damian, Chiara, Toria, Sasha, Sophia, Sheila. You go to the next page. Every page, there's another name. Pray for Jimena, pray for Magali, pray for Maria Cruz, Patricia, Benjamin. Do you pray for a group larger than just the people around you? I'll tell you what, I I was a beneficiary of this sort of prayer. Myself as a missionary kid, I grew up in Argentina. And for years afterwards, I still meet people who will say, Oh, you're David Blouse. Oh, we had your photo on our fridge. Thanks. Uh, We prayed for you. I ended up marrying one of those people who had my photo on their fridge. But anyway, 
And it's fascinating now, looking back, the times of trouble for us as a family, how often my parents would say, we've been blessed by God through the prayers of others, hundreds and hundreds of others. Lesson number one, pray for Christians you've never met. Lesson number two, Paul prays unceasingly. If you saw that in verse 9, for this reason, since today we've heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. There are some things that we should not stop praying for. It's not enough just to pray once. Dear God, please save this person. It's not enough just to pray once. Dear God, please remove this sin from me. It's not enough just to pray once. Dear God, give me maturity. Strengthen me. See, prayer is God's appointed mechanism. God is the way, prayer is the way God has given us to take hold of the blessings that are already ours. He's given us the blessings in Jesus, and now he waits for us to ask in order to hand them over. And there are so many of the blessings of God that we need day after day after day after day. And so we need to ask for them day after day after day. Heavenly Father, I need strength. Father, I need wisdom. Father, I need you to remove this temptation. Father, give me words. Father, he needs strength. She needs wisdom. They need this temptation removed from them. It's like a polite child at home. My kids, believe it or not, need to eat and drink every day. They just keep coming back for more. I just fed you. You want more food, right? But even though they need food and drink every day, when they need it, they ask. Dad, can I please have a drink? Of course you can. In the same way, we come to our Heavenly Father, and even those things that are necessary for us, we still ask. Do you want to see another example? Turn the page over to chapter 4 and verse 12. Chapter 4 and verse 12 of the same book, Colossians. Epaphras, again, this guy who'd originally shared the news with them. Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Jesus, sends greeting. He is always, I love this word, he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Could your prayers be described as wrestling? Lesson one, pray for Christians you've never met. Lesson two, pray unceasingly. And lesson three, then, from this context, Paul links thanksgiving with prayer. Right? Verse three, back in chapter one, we always Thank God the Father when we pray for you. Verse 9, for this reason, since we have heard we have not stopped praying. That is, Paul thanks God that they have heard the gospel. He thanks God that God has blessed them. He thanks God for the grace that has been poured out in their lives. And then he says, so please give them more. Makes sense, right? Thank you, God, for this good thing you've given me. Please, can you give me some more of it? makes sense and you compare for a moment with how so many of our prayers go you tell me when are you more likely to pray when things are going good or when things are going bad are you more likely to pray when your children are making progress in their faith 
or when they're off making friends with the wrong sorts? Are you more likely to pray when you've just had a fight at church and things are not going well and there's dissension and discord? Or when people have just been converted and things are just going really well at church? Are you more likely to pray when you see maturity and growth or when you see immaturity and weakness? How fantastic would it be to be praying off the back of thank you God for this astonishing thing you've done and please could you do more of it? Thank you, God, for those who have heard about Jesus and put their trust in him and be saved. Please, could you do that with some more people? Thank you, God, for our children, that they are growing up to know and to love and to serve Jesus. Please, can you keep doing that in them and in all the other children who are going to come too? Thank you, God, for the maturity that I'm seeing in my fellow Christians, how you are raising them up to serve each other. They are just loving one another in an amazing way. Please, can you do some more of that? I wonder if you've ever been in a prayer group of some sort where someone has said, well, I've not really got anything to pray for. Ever been in that situation? Now, maybe, maybe things are just going that well. I mean, I, I have yet to meet someone whose life is that good, but maybe it really is the case. Maybe things are just going well right now. And, well, there's nothing bad to pray for, they mean. Well, that's okay. Then start thanking God for the good things in your life and then ask him for more. Pray for Christians you never met. Pray unceasingly. Move from thanksgiving into prayer. Now, there are three lessons as well to draw out from the content of what Paul prays for them. Three more lessons then. Lesson number four. Paul prays just one thing for these Colossian Christians. I don't know if you saw it. Verse 9, he prays. In fact, he's not stopped praying and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's not really fair to compare Paul to us. I stop and think what I've been praying for recently and it just seems so mundane. (laughs) It's not bad to pray for everyday things and yet here is Paul just going straight to the heart of the matter. Heavenly Father, please, would you fill these Christians with knowledge of you? It doesn't mean God's will in the sense that we often use it. Right? I'm, I'm seeking God's will in this decision. I'm, I'm trying to work out this decision for my future, so I'm waiting to see what God wills. It doesn't mean it in that sense. The Bible pretty much never speaks of God's will in that sense. God's will is for our obedience. God's will is for Christians to live God's way. God's will is for Christians to be holy. That is to be set apart, to live differently. God's will is for our wisdom, that we would make the most of the opportunities. That God's will is for us to be joyful, prayerful, thanksgiving. It consists of all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, what Paul wants for the Colossians is that they would have everything they need to stand up to the pressures of the surrounding pagan culture that they would know God. How else are they supposed to think Christianly? How else are they supposed to live and act Christianly in the world if they don't know God's mind, God's will, God's plans and God's purposes? And if you stop to think for a moment, it's what we need too. 
Whatever sort of person you're like, whether you love grabbing onto the latest fad and the newest thing, or whether you just love tradition for the sake of tradition, what we need more than anything else is a deep knowledge of God, as fresh as it is profound. What we need above all else is to delight in God's thinking after him. What we need is for our greatest desire to be his pleasure. To stop seeking to live by bread alone, but rather from every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you're going to pray just one thing, if you're going to pray just one thing for yourself and for those around you and for Christians you've never met, pray that. Pray that they would be filled with the mind of God. And the purpose, lesson number five, the reason why this matters so much is that from it, verse 10, from this knowledge, we will live a life that is worthy of the Lord, seeking to please him in every single way. Do you want a summary of what the Christian life is about? Just one sentence, little motivational poster. Here you go. Seek to please God in everything. Every thought, every action, every reaction, every decision, every moment. What would please God right now for me to do, for me to think, for me to avoid? At work. In my leisure time, with my spouse, with my children, in my church life and what responsibilities I take on, what I read, what TV I watch, how I relate to my neighbours, what I do with my money. What will please God right now? Now, of course, you can't please God without knowing what pleases him. You can't seek to live a life worthy of Jesus without being full of the knowledge of God's will. Now, the knowledge of God's will, in a sense, is a means to an end. The end is please God. The means is know what pleases him so that you can live that way. Have such Christian maturity that our deepest desire, the thing we want most, is to please God. Okay, so lesson number four. Paul prays that they be filled with the knowledge of God. So that, lesson number five, they can live lives that please him. Lesson number six, Paul spells it out for us. Here are four characteristics of a life that pleases God. Again, halfway through verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened to have endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. The Christian life bears fruit. The works that Christians do, the good things that Christians do, aren't what save us. Christians are mongrels, sinners, wicked, evil people who have been forgiven. And having been forgiven because of the love they have been shown, therefore seek to please God. Created to do good works. Christians grow in knowledge. It's funny, isn't it? It's almost circular. It's not quite circular. It's more a spiral, an outward-going spiral. Because the more you obey God, the more you learn about him. It kind of works out that way. And the more you learn about him, the more you want to obey him. The more you seek to please him, you grow in the knowledge of his will. And so you kind of grow. A life worthy of Jesus 
is strengthened for endurance and patience. Now, don't get me wrong. Living God's way in this life brings great reward with it. Uh, Christians, by and large, tend to, over time, get their lives together. I was at church at a place called Guildford for a while. I don't know if you know Guildford. Uh, rough end of town. Uh, the minister at that church would get up each week and uh, it'd be a little bit of a joke, right? He'd get up and he'd say, it's been a good week at Guildford. No one got shot. And there'd be that little moment of awkward laughter in the church because it was true. It had been a good week because no one had been shot. When he first arrived at the church, he'd have to literally pull fist fights apart, right? There'd be blokes just going at it at the back of the church after the service. He had to call the cops to just sort them all out. Guildford's a rough part of town. The people who were still there, by and large, is because they just couldn't get their lives together. They just messed up and that's where they were and that's how you live life. And the church had a problem because people would hear about Jesus, they'd respond with faith, they'd trust in him, their lives would start to change. God would start to bless them through sorting their lives out, living God's ways. And then once they sorted their lives out, the last thing you want to do is stay in Guildford. And so all these people who sorted their lives out would then leave. There's great blessing in living God's way, but make no mistake, there is great suffering and hardship in it. There is suffering and hardship in living God's way because it is God's way. Because we live in a world that doesn't like God's way. Let's just call it how it is. And so to live in a way that pleases God is to be strengthened by him to endure to put up with the pain and the suffering and the opposition and the persecution for his sake. For in the end, the life worthy of Jesus is a life of giving thanks to the Father. And how could we not give thanks? Did you hear that description of us? Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What would an audit of your prayer life reveal? As to its frequency, as to its content. Let's learn these six lessons from Paul. Pray for Christians you've never met. Pray unceasingly. Turn your thanksgiving into prayer. Pray that you and those around you and everyone else you pray for might be filled with the knowledge of God's will such that you can please him in everything, bearing fruit, growing in knowledge, strengthened for endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you teach us how you want us to pray. Please fill us with knowledge of you. Teach us who you are and what it is that you want and our place in this world and in relationship to you. Such that each one of us, knowing the forgiveness that you bring, knowing Jesus' payment for our sin, would be able to live lives that are worthy of your Son and that please you in every way. Amen.